three, two, one, let's go. Welcome back to Mission Forge. I'm Bobby Jankovic. And Mission Forge, we have a mission, which is to engage each other, empower one another, and elevate the world around us, especially the world of real estate. Now, I've got a third part in a three-part series of rental activities. And in the first one, I said insider tips on being a tenant, like how to be a tenant, how to prepare to be a tenant. Thinking a lot of seeing uh, my younger kids grow up and worrying about them getting into housing in the future, I thought this might be helpful to somebody. So I laid out some insider tips. Everybody wants to know the insider tips. And then the second part in this three-part series was insider tips on being a landlord. So I put out there in case a lot of times people either wittingly or unwittingly want or need to get into to, um, property management as a landlord. And so I left some tips for that. Lastly, the third of a three-part series is insider tips on becoming a property manager. So now this is really for real estate practitioners. Um, it might be for landlords who are thinking about hiring um, a property manager, but really mainly this is for your real estate practitioner who's looking to sort of maybe build out their business, um, kind of expand their scope of their skill set. Maybe they've got their own rentals or, or whatever. So here we go. Without further ado, insider tips on becoming a property manager. Well, first of all, you absolutely have to learn to manage expectations. Those expectations of yourself, those expectations of prospective tenants, and those expectations of your owners. There's a lot of, a, there's a different scale of things in property management, different timelines. We don't always get immediate answers. Sometimes things take days, weeks, months to play out, depending on what we're talking about. So if you can be a good manager of expectations of the people you're talking to, you will be more successful. Number two, you really need to learn what it means to work with somebody intricately whom you do not represent. So the point here is, when you're a property manager, in most cases, not in every case, you represent the owner, the landlord. Um, and sometimes you have limited dealings with them, but you might have a lot more interaction with the tenant and you don't represent that tenant. That tenant is an unrepresented party, but you still have to work intricately with the, that person and provide them good, honest service, record keeping, confidentiality, a host of things that don't necessarily involve that client relationship. And I will say that sometimes the owners see that and they might be asked to perform a repair and then they start to feel as though they're not being represented. Whose side are you on? Da, 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 da. So you need to think all those things through and be prepared to work with people necessarily intricately that you don't represent. Number three, you need to talk to your broker and make sure you're compatible with the broker's allowances and the allowances that the brokerage offers for property management. 
plain and simple, they may not allow it. So before you get too deep into it, you want to have a conversation with them. And you might be the first in their property management division. So don't be turned off if they say no right away. Maybe put it as a win-win opportunity for the whole um, the whole situation for both of you. Number four, oh wow, be aware of current laws. This is not an insider tip, guys. You've got to know what is going on. You've got to know the ins and outs. You've got to know where to access the information. You hopefully have access to an attorney or a, a seasoned expert that you can lean into. But the more that you can become that person and that expert and that knowledgeable person, the better off you'll be. And here's something. Those laws are changing all the time all the time. Number five, undergo necessary training. If it's training, if it's relevant, you need to be there. You need to be a part of it. Try to stay offline on this training. If you can get around people that are doing this training who have experience, this is where that interaction is really helpful. Those war stories, you need to hear those. You need to get in and get your feet dirty. I'm sorry, your hands dirty before you get into the world of property management or as you're getting into the world of property management. Number six, spend time learning the forms, what they mean and when you should use them. You think the real estate contract for a sale of a house is long, which it is, look at a property management file, especially a property management file that has some age on it. Sometimes these files can be inches thick that's if it's in paper form. If it's digital, you're just talking, you know, megabytes and megabytes of space to cover all the documents. What are the different forms? What do they mean? And there's always going to be more to learn. Your basics are going to be your property management agreement between you and the owner. Sometimes that incorporates a exclusive right to list the property. Sometimes those are integral depending on your source of forms, your forms library. Um, then your other hot button one would be the lease itself. But there's so much more than just the lease itself. You've got the rental application. You have the addenda. You have the disclosures. You have... Um, state forms, you have local forms, you have utility forms, you have move out forms, you have inspection forms, and the list goes on and on and on. I know it sounds like I'm trying to scare you away, but I'm not. Number seven, learn the tools that your office has to leverage your work. If your office is already engaged in property management, chances are there are some tools there to benefit you. And it would really be sensical if those tools were time-saving tools. So it would behoove you to learn those tools. If you're an old school mindset and you wanna do everything the old fashioned way, this may not be the best way to go okay you might want to you might want to step back especially if you're looking at taking on a number of accounts a number of rentals because it is a time consuming business and the more time saving aspects you can introduce into that through software and systems the better off everybody's going to be 
consider number eight, consider working with an experienced property management to learn the ropes. What a better way than to spend a year or 18 months or two years as an aide or an assistant uh, or as a partner to somebody who, who needs a little help. What a great way, almost like an internship or an apprentice to get in and get your feet wet. Number nine, make sure you fully understand how, new, how your new knowledge as a property manager can assist your business by helping your existing residential real estate clients. As you become more and more experienced and more versed at how landlords can benefit and how tenants um, might aspire to become future homeowners and how landlords might look to get out of become being landlords and getting rid of their properties. As you understand all those moving parts, the natural ebb and flow of these cycles and the economy, you can understand that it can generate a lot of activity in your residential real estate business. Number 10, I want you to develop a system for dealing with prospects, unavailable rentals, and stick to it on available rentals. So you're going to have, when you put a rental on the market, you're going to have a lot of activity, interest, phone calls, texts, emails. I want you to come up with a system of dealing with those leads and I want you to stick to it. I don't want you to vary and I don't want you to make exceptions to the rule. That's very important, A, for just getting through the mountain of work and the, the load of work that comes when you put a property on the market. And number two, it will help alleviate any appearances of impropriety. Believe it or not, when things kind of get throwing and fast and hot and boo boo boo, and then there's a bunch of applications and one person is selected and one person isn't, people might start to question why that is. And if you have a lot of variances in how you're dealing with people, it's easy for people to think either rightfully or wrongfully that you have made a decision based on, let's say, a fair housing class. Well, you made that selection because I'm of a particular class, the person who's selected is not. So if you can equalize your interactions, treat everybody the same, treat all, go through all the same processes, you will alleviate a lot of that ability to say, hey, I think I might have been um, treated differently. Okay, number 11 and the last insider tip. I always come up with a 12th. So let's see if I can come up with a 12th. The last insider tip. Number 11, circling back to the beginning, make sure you manage those expectations of your owner regarding your adherence to the law. A good, a good for instance on this is having animals in the home. Okay, so as I alluded to last time, fair housing is an important, very important consideration. And sometimes we have owners that have ideas about who they want it living in their house. And the truth is, you need to manage their expectations that they need to let go a lot of those images and those mindsets and those ideas that the Norman Rockwell family, minus the dog, because there's no pets, is going to be sitting in their house and it's always going to be clean and the dishes are always going to be done the grass is always going to be trimmed, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you will 
let them know that you will not make any decisions on tenants based on um, protected classes, and they need to understand that. And you also need to let them know, going back to the animal idea, that pets can be discriminated against. You don't have to allow pets in the home, but it is becoming more and more common for people to have legitimate uh, service animals or assistance animals, and those may not be excluded. Um, it is called a reasonable request under the um, Americans with Disability Act. It is protected, and as the owner and the property manager, if you are presented with a reasonable request to accommodate, you have to go to great lengths to try to accommodate, all right? And allowing a service animal is most often easy to accommodate. So number 11, circle back to the beginning. Make sure you manage those expectations of your owner. Don't let your owner's impressions and ideas and thoughts paint you into a corner where you feel like you have to act improperly under the law. Easy enough. I didn't come up with a 12th, but that's okay. There's still insider tips, and I don't want to do 12 just for the sake of doing 12. Have a great day. Thanks for joining. Like and subscribe, and please share this with somebody you think might be interested.